to edition number 1926 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 25th of August. My name is Byron Russell and I edited this edition. Our readers today are Debbie Diacon, Jean Thompson, Alan Ravel and Michael Walsh. We also have a new reader joining us, Andrew Dilger. Beside me at the controls, we have the unrivaled recording deck skills of Peter Brading. This week, we have items from the Whitney Gazette and Oxford Mail. Our first items today are all about the effects of the drought and rocketing energy bills. Our first story is read by Debbie and is about how the hospitality industry is really suffering as prices rise. Yes, and the title is Pubs Under Pressure Due to Shock of Energy Prices. Hospitality and leisure businesses are coming under extreme pressure as concerns rise about the energy price crisis. Unlike consumer energy bills, there is no price cap on commercial energy costs. And there is growing concern among businesses that the long-term effects will have an even greater impact on the sector than the COVID lockdowns. One business worried about rising energy bills is Dodo Pub Company. Dodo Pub's group includes the part and parcel in Whitney, as well as the Rusty Bicycle, the Rickety Press and the Up in Arms in Oxford, the Bottle of Sauce in Cheltenham and the Last Crumb in Caversham. Co-founder Chris Manners said, The energy price increase is going to be tough for all hospitality businesses. As a business, we're seeing our energy bills increase by 250% compared to what we paid last year. We're working hard to be as efficient as possible with our usage and have so far managed to avoid price increases for our customers, but it's likely to become a reality very soon. Meanwhile, the fleece on Church Green, which is run by Peach Pubs, said it has had, quote, an unbelievably challenging couple of years. Peach Managing Director Hamish Stoddard said, We have been closed for lockdowns with no revenue, protected by the furlough scheme, and now are coping with incredible inflation on all our purchases. Gorgeous steak, lobsters, white wine, coke and cold lager – But, he said, power is the biggest shock. We try not just to pass it on to our guests and really think how we keep loyal guests. The biggest challenge is gas and electricity costs. We think the cost of power could rise to £90,000 to £100,000 per annum per pub. The group is thinking about how to cut down these energy bills. UK Hospitality, Nighttime Industries Association, Music Venue Trust, the British Institute of Innkeeping and the British Beer and Pub Association have said businesses and jobs in the sector are at grave risk and asked for an urgent support package from the government. Steve Alton, CEO of the British Institute of Innkeeping, said many pubs' position was fragile. The majority of our members are single-site operators running small, independent businesses at the heart of their communities. Without urgent action from government, these vital spaces for social connection, supporting local jobs, supply chains and community groups will drown under the weight of the rising costs of doing business, he said. In many cases, the impact on their businesses is now worse than that of the pandemic, 
which has already left them with average debts of £40,000 per pub. The stark reality of the challenges now facing them cannot be underestimated. The government must act now to ensure we don't lose these essential local community hubs forever. Thanks very much, Debbie. Debbie, sobering news indeed. Um, And now Alan is here to tell us briefly about a new initiative by West Oxfordshire District Council, which aims to do something to try and help with the rising cost of living. Yes, the headline is Council Starts Fund for Cost of Living Crisis. A district council is launching a new fund to bolster environmental programmes and support people through the cost of living crisis. West Oxfordshire District Council is moving forward with plans to invest the £750,000 new initiative fund to support the delivery of the council priorities and help local people with the cost of living crisis. Andy Graham, the leader of the council, said, Following our agreements to set aside this funding to support West Oxfordshire last month, our first decision is to decarbonise more of our street cleansing fleet and reduce our carbon footprint. £500,000 of the funding will be split between support for residents impacted by the cost of living crisis, community-based environment schemes, youth initiatives that help tackle inequality within the youth of the district, and business support for towns and villages. As the first investment from the funding, £75,000 will be used to part-fund the purchase of two electric-powered street sweepers as part of the Council's commitment to make its own operations more climate-friendly and to reduce emissions that cause poor air quality. Councillor Lydia Arsevska, Cabinet Action to Address the Climate and Ecological Crisis, is one of the District's top priorities. Our intention to purchase the sweepers is the next step in our longer-term goal to move more of our street cleansing, waste and recycling vehicles to alternative fuels such as electric or hydrogen. And now we're moving on um, and away from the cost of living to um, the problem of drought and heat. So Jean is here to tell us briefly about hosepipe bans. Okay, this is entitled Utility Company Warns Customers Over Drought. A utilities company is urging customers to adhere to the hosepipe ban, which comes into force today, i.e. that was Wednesday. Leap Utilities is urging people to stick to the ban imposed by water company Thames Water. The company owns and operates the essential last-mile water network infrastructure for Didcot's Great Western Park development and takes the supply from Thames Water. Helen Bishop, Director of Customer Operations, said, Leap is the water supplier for development by Taylor Wimpy and, as we take water supply from Thames Water, it's our duty to assist them in protecting supplies and supporting their imminent hosepipe ban. Customer demand is at unprecedented levels, and we now have to move into the next phase of our drought plan to conserve water, mitigate further risk, and future-proof supplies. We're hoping that all of our customers living in Great Western Park will take notice of the ban and do their bit to help. Climate change is making droughts more likely. 
Thames Water now deems these restrictions to be necessary as part of the drought planning and we support them wholeheartedly. It will help protect supplies this year and next as well as protecting the local environment by limiting the amount of water drawn from rivers. And of course one of the corollaries to uh, the lack of water is the great heat and what it may cause. So we're finally moving on to Michael with a short item about a field catching a light in the current heat wave. Yeah, the headline is Burning Field Doused by Firefighters and RAF Crew. Firefighters released pictures of officers tackling a field fire. The blaze broke out at Urnwood Farm in Blackbolton near Carston when a burning combine harvester ignited the field. Up to 30 acres of crops were destroyed as the fire spread due to the summer's intense hot weather conditions. Twelve hay bales were also destroyed. The fire had spread to nearby trees, but fire crews managed to stop it spreading to other fields and property. Firefighters were joined by farmers, Gloucestershire Fire Service and RAF fire and rescue crews from Bryce Norton. A spokesman said lessons learnt from recent joint training exercises with the RAF were put into practice at this instant, which allowed a swift response to an escalating fire. And there's a large picture that shows a scorched field with a, a masked firefighter standing by a fire and rescue tender while uh, a colleague sprays a smouldering heap. Four candidates vying to represent East Seat. Four candidates are vying for the vacancy on Whitney Town Council. A by-election will take place tomorrow for someone to represent the Whitney East Ward. The candidates include Hannah Bailey for the Liberal Democrats, who lives in the ward and works at a local school. The Lib Dem priorities for the town are to help tackle the cost of living crisis, calling on the government to cancel October's energy price hike and proposing an immediate cut in VAT to help local families struggling to pay their bills. They will campaign to rebuild the Oxford Ensham Whitney Carterton rail link, put pressure on Thames Water to do more to clean up our local rivers and waterways, calling on them to increase the capacity of sewage treatment works and to be more transparent with the monitoring of discharges. David Lyon, who has lived in Whitney for 25 years and is involved in many community initiatives, is the Labour candidate. He said, As the landscape of Whitney East changes, I will do my utmost to ensure proper transport infrastructure is in place, including bus routes, cycle lanes and the Shores Green Junction. He aims to help the Labour-run town council quote, to continue their great work in protecting, promoting and opening up green spaces such as the groundbreaking tiny forest at Titchwood. And he will, quote, fight for projects that will benefit us all, including a community garden on Madley Park and other grassroots initiatives. Sandra Simpson for the Green Party has lived in Whitney for over 20 years. She was a lecturer for the Open University and the University of Hertfordshire, where she was head of continuing studies supporting mature students. She has also taught in prisons and helped unemployed people in Whitney and Oxford with English, maths and preparing their CVs. She volunteers at a local parent-run playgroup, taught life-saving at her children's swimming club, 
is a qualified bowls coach and is an active member of several wildlife groups. She founded the Wood Green Area Waste Action Group, which started the first green waste collections at the council offices. The group also gave demonstrations and talks on recycling and arranged monthly swap shops. Darren Thomas, a Conservative Party candidate, said, Labour have been running Whitney Town Council for nearly four years now and have nothing to show for it other than hiking up your council tax to record levels and increasing town hall costs. The poor financial management at Whitney Town Council recently resulted in plans to celebrate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee scaled back as the Town Council had run out of money. Residents were rightly angered at the lack of celebration shown in the town, with many asking why the Town Council weren't doing more to celebrate this historic occasion. Mr Thomas, who lives on Madley Park, said... We have Labour councillors teaming up with Lib Dems and Greens to rush through plans for 20-mile-an-hour roads and pushing through the high street closure without a proper plan and against the views of residents, a common theme with these new coalitions. It's time for change, and I hope people vote for me to get that. And the next headline is Fiesta Driver 20 sped past traffic queue at fatal crash. The story reads, A driver ignored lines of queuing traffic after a fatal crash on the M40 as she sped the wrong way down the hard shoulder. Anne Ashley, 20, was behind the wheel of her 2012 plate Ford Fiesta between the Wendelbury and Wheatley junctions on November 7th last year when she sped past queuing drivers. A white MG and a purple Mazda had collided on the northbound carriageway between junctions 8A and 9. As a result, traffic was being held by police on both the northbound and southbound carriageways to give the emergency services space to deal with the tragedy and to give the air ambulance helicopter space to land. A passenger in the MG, a 57-year-old woman from Bridge End in Wales, was pronounced dead at the scene. The MG's driver, a man, was taken to hospital with serious injuries. The Mazda driver escaped with minor injuries. Jay Singh, prosecuting, told Oxford Magistrates Court that police received a number of 999 calls from witnesses reporting vehicles travelling within the closed area and very fast on the southbound carriageway hard shoulder. More calls were received later on to say that the same car, a Ford Fiesta, had turned around and was driving back the way it came. Ashley, who was then 19, was not caught at the time. Instead, Thames Valley Police sent a letter to the young woman as the car's registered keeper, informing her of their intention to prosecute her for dangerous driving. Having not received any response to the letter, which was sent on November the 16th, police officers then visited her home on December the 19th. She claimed not to have received the earlier letter. The notice of intended prosecution was served on her this second time and she replied three days before Christmas. Her reply included a handwritten letter making full admission to the offence and she was very apologetic, Miss Singh said. 
Appearing before the Magistrate's Court on Tuesday, Ashley of Alsley Hall, Coventry, pleaded guilty to dangerous driving. She had no previous convictions. Richard Demchak, defending, asked the justices to adjourn sentence for the preparation of a probation report. He did not set out the reasons why his client was speeding down the hard shoulder. The magistrates bailed Ashley to return to court on September the 21st for sentencing. She was given an interim driving ban, disqualifying her from getting behind the wheel. Last year, witnesses to the fatal crash were asked by Thames Valley Police to contact the force's serious collision investigation team, and DC Elizabeth Skurlock said at the time, I would like to thank the public for their patience and understanding while we dealt with what was a particularly difficult scene. This clip is entitled Changes to Bus Routes Aimed at Securing Services. Changes will be made to bus routes in and around Whitney from Sunday to secure services. Stagecoach West said that they are designed to create a more sustainable bus network. Managing Director Rachel Jalamassi said, As travel needs and habits change, we need to constantly review and adapt our routes. These changes ensure that our bus services are sustainable for the future and reflect the travel needs of our customers, providing services they can rely on. The S1 from Oxford to Ensham, Whitney and Carterton will continue to run every 15 minutes between Whitney and Oxford, but will now serve the Windrush Place development at Centenary Way. It will also serve more of Carterton via Upaven Way and Alverscott Road. Buses will run the full route from Oxford to Carterton every 15 minutes, Monday to Saturday, and every 20 minutes on Sundays. The S1 will no longer serve Kerbridge or Bryce Norton, but connections are available on S2 and 233. The S2 will run from Oxford to Whitney and Kerbridge hourly and extend to Cheltenham every two hours. The S2 will no longer serve Carterton, but connections are available on the S1 and 233. This revised S2 replaces services 853 and S2X. There will be no changes to the 233 Woodstock, Hanborough, Whitney, Burford timetable, but it will now serve Bryce Norton, replacing the S1. There are no route changes to the H2 Oxford to Carterton service, but journeys will only extend from Whitney to Carterton at peak times. School day journeys to Burford School will continue to run. And so now I'm delighted to introduce a, a new reader to our team, Mr Andrew Dilger, who's going to read the next item for us. Thanks, Andrew. This short article is titled Order Prescriptions Well Ahead of Bank Holiday, Say NHS. Patients are being advised to order repeat prescriptions early ahead of the bank holiday. Next Monday... Many community pharmacies and all GP surgeries will be closed. Oxford Health NHS Foundation Trust advice is to plan ahead 
and order repeat prescriptions as soon as possible. People who run out of prescription medication over the break and need an emergency supply should go to NHS 111 online, which will be able to signpost how to access their medication. A list of local pharmacies open over the bank holiday weekend can be found on the NHS website. Dr. Abid Irfan, Interim Director of Primary Care at the Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire and Berkshire West Integrated Care Board, said, Help yourself stay well over the bank holiday by making sure you have enough of your medication to see you through. Order your repeat prescription well in advance, especially if you're going away. If you do run out of your medication, NHS 111 online can offer advice on how to get an emergency supply, but it's always best to be prepared. And now two short articles. <clears throat> Dangerous drink driver gets to walk from court. A Stanlake woman who drove a Peugeot dangerously and while twice the drink drive limit was spared an immediate prison sentence. Sarah Thompson, 33, of High Street, admitted being behind the wheel of the 57-plate Peugeot 207 on the A34 on New Year's Day. Tests showed she was more than twice the drink drive limit at 88 milligrams of alcohol in 100 mil of breath. The legal limit is 35 milligrams. She was sentenced to 12 months imprisonment, suspended for two years, and ordered she abide by a 90-day alcohol abstinence tag. She was banned from driving for two years, must pass an extended retest, and was ordered to pay £475 in costs to the Crown Prosecution Service. And the second story is entitled Safety App for Children. Police are urging children with mobile phones to download a new safety app so parents can track them. The Holly Guard app is designed for youngsters to be able to switch on when they are walking home late or alone and then parents are able to track them. If they feel unsafe at any point, they can shake their phones and the app sets off a high-pitched alarm and also sends messages to the parent or guardian registered with the user. Police across the UK have been posting notices to residents about the app, encouraging them to download it. And I have two more short items. First one is headlined, Community Work Order for Assaulting Woman. A community order has been made after a man assaulted a woman and damaged a caravan. Bradley Olive, 28, of Mountfield Road in Whitney, pleaded guilty to assaulting a woman on April the 12th in Hoban Lane, Christchurch. He pleaded guilty last month at Dorset Magistrates Court and was sentenced to 120 hours of unpaid work to be completed within 12 months. He was also ordered to pay a victim surcharge of £114 and court costs of £85. Olive was also sentenced for causing criminal damage in the same location. He pleaded guilty to da damaging the caravan which had a value of approximately £1,000, 
Another community order was made for another 120 hours of unpaid work to be completed within the next 12 months. Second item's headline, Wilderness Drugs Charges. A man has been charged with several drugs offences following a festival in Oxfordshire. Lloyd Smythe, 36, of Tabard Garden, Southwark, in London, has been charged with possession with intent to supply cocaine, ketamine and supplying a psychoactive substance at Wilderness Festival in Cornbury. The charges relate to allegations that an offender was suspected of selling drugs at the festival in August last year. Smith is due to appear at Oxford Magistrates Court on September 13th. A handful of people have been arrested either on suspicion of dealing drugs or having dealt drugs at the Wilderness Festival over the years. They include a man from Warwickshire, a woman from London and a man from Bloxham. Well, that's the, uh, the end of this first section. We now move on to the editor's pick. And this week, it's an interview that I ran with an 18-year-old called Fred Hargreaves. Fred has just completed his Duke of Edinburgh Silver Award. Every year, the Duke of Edinburgh Award inspires hundreds of thousands of young people from all walks of life to develop skills and self-confidence. Over 7 million young people have done their DOV to date. Um, It's open to any young person aged 14 to 24, and each award consists of four of three main sections, community volunteering, physical skill building, and an expedition. That's three days of hiking and map reading, covering around 19 kilometres a day at silver level. It's not easy for anyone, but in Fred's case, there was an additional challenge in that Fred is registered blind. Now, unfortunately, we don't have Fred with us in the studio today, but we do have the nearly 18-year-old Nigel James, who is going to be standing in for him. So the first question I asked was, what made you decide to do the Duke of Edinburgh? I went to an open evening in Hunstanton. I had a letter about it, and my dad said to me, why don't you just go along and listen? I didn't think anything of it, but said, OK. I thought it sounded a bit of a giggle, so... I put my name down for it, and I thought it was worth a go. What could go wrong, really? And then it really was good fun. So now I've done my bronze and my silver. I did my bronze three years ago in the spring of 2019. And then I signed up for the silver. But then, of course, Covid hit, which just stopped everything. I did some fitness training in lockdown to prepare. But then, when I got to the silver expedition, it wasn't quite the same. For example, they didn't let us camp out but I'm hopefully starting on the gold in September. And which of the the main sections, volunteering, physical skills and expedition, which was your favourite? I think the physical side, which I really enjoyed. For the bronze, I did some swimming. I actually swam a mile, which wasn't quite as bad as it sounds. And for the silver, I had to do 50 kilometres on an exercise bike, starting slowly and gradually building up to 50 kilometres. Obviously, you're building up in difficulty across the three levels. And I enjoyed the expedition. Really, we had two expeditions. We had the practice one, and then we had the actual expedition, which was in Southwold. For me personally, the bronze expedition was harder than the silver expedition, as by the time I did the silver, I was a bit fitter, having really got into my training. 
so my fitness levels when I did the bronze were not quite up to what they were for the silver, so bronze was harder. And after the first, you feel more prepared for the second one, not quite so up in the air about it. And um, what were the other people in the in the team like? Well, they, they were a real mix. Some treated it like a race, but the majority were quite sensible. The expedition especially was really good for team building. For example, we had a communal camping stove and we had to cook collectively as a group. Putting up the tent as well was a team effort, so working with others was really good. We had to go in on Saturday morning to plan the route and learn how to use all the equipment, such as the camping stove and the tent. And what I thought was good was that, like the volunteering, you had to commit to the time and give up your free time to take part. Were there any hairy or scary moments on the expedition for you at all? Oh, yes. Yeah, we had to walk through quite a few fields of cows, and one had a bull in it. And, of course, they're quite notorious for being rather aggressive. And I nearly slipped on a cow pat. There were other hairy moments. We had to walk through the undergrowth and look out for things like tick bites. The fact that I'm visually impaired was not really a problem at all, but there had to be adjustments. For example, I wasn't able to use my long cane in the undergrowth because it just would have got tangled up in the long grass. So I had to trust the others around me. Certainly helping others is a part of the Duke of Edinburgh experience. For example, several people hadn't worn worn in their walking boots beforehand, so they got blisters and their walking was very uncomfortable. I had worn in mine, so I was quite happy walking. But you just couldn't leave the others behind. So we were helping people along, slowing down a bit so they could catch up and encouraging them and giving them moral support. And how important has the whole Duke of Edinburgh experience been to you personally? Well, the way I see it, it's like an extra GCSE. It may not be part of the curriculum, but it's practical and active rather than sitting down and doing an exam. The good thing about it is that no one forces you to do the Duke of Edinburgh scheme, unlike school GCSEs. You're doing it because you want to do it, and they're teaching you practical skills, skills you probably wouldn't end up using in the future. This is definitely true from the point of view of employability skills, though. Also, in terms of jobs, it makes you stand out from the others because you're going to come out of it more resilient. For example, I remember on one of the expeditions... It was really hot and muggy and close, and then it started raining, and you've got to put on your waterproof clothing, and of course that attracts heat as well, and you have to walk in all that. And for the gold expedition, you have to go on a ten-day trip on a tall ship on an expedition from Lowestoft to the Isle of Wight. So more resilient, yes, and practical, and DOV makes you stand out from the crowd. Fred. Or Nigel, as I should say, thank you very much indeed for that. And thanks also to Flo Brooks, who is the Senior Communications Officer at the Duke of Edinburgh Award Scheme, for fixing the interview with Fred. If any of you, anyone you know, would like to learn more about the DOV, you can find out more at www.doveeorone.org. And now it's time for this week's reflection, and it's my great pleasure to introduce, as always, Richard Donoghue, who's going to be reading. Thank you very much, and hello to you all. I'm glad of the opportunity of being with you once again. My wife and I spent a couple of days at the Commonwealth Games that were recently held in Birmingham. 
I have to say I was incredibly impressed with the organisation of the whole event, especially when I realised that the cost of our tickets included the use of public transport to get to and from whatever it was that we were attending. We were staying in Wolverhampton where we lived for many years and were able to get the train into Birmingham New Street station and then a shuttle bus to the venue and then at the end of the event the shuttle bus and the train back. All free of charge. The first event that we attended was a 2020 cricket match between New Zealand and Sri Lanka. Even for a 2020 match, it was a quite a refined affair, with the exception of some very vocal New Zealanders who were sitting close to us. New Zealand won easily and went on, of course, to win the bronze medal, beating England. The other event was athletics at the Alexander Stadium. We were in the back straight stand and the stadium was packed. There were two highlights during the evening. Uh, Cat Johnson-Thompson winning the heptathlon, which clearly, clearly brought her much joy after her well-known injuries. 1,000 metres with Eilish McColgan as the leading British competitor. Towards the end of the race, she was overtaken. And the crowd clearly determined that this was simply not acceptable and set out to lift her to victory. I have never experienced anything like it. The noise in the stadium was simply overwhelming. I knew that I was shouting her on, but I couldn't hear my own voice. In the final straight, she drew alongside the leader. The noise level increased. And then she passed with just a few metres left. I didn't think it possible for the noise level to increase again, but it did. Just sensational. As McColgan herself acknowledged in the post, she reflected on how the spectators had carried her to victory. As well as being an amazing experience, the power of the crowd was something to behold. I am absolutely convinced that the crowd made her victory possible. In the scale of things, of course, a 10,000 metre race is not very important. But what if we corporately used the power I witnessed that night to change our world for the better? Twice this summer, we have felt the effects of climate change, and I, for one, have not particularly enjoyed the experience. It's also a little frightening. Politicians, it seems to me, across the world fiddle as the planet almost literally burns. We live in what for many millions of people are really perilous times. We are told that it's possible that more than 60%, 45 will be in fuel poverty by January next year. And in the meantime, our totally leaderless government do nothing. Time perhaps for the people of this country and indeed the whole world to really determine that change must happen. I believe that with God all things are possible, even what might seem impossible. Collectively, you and I can change our world and truly make it a better place. And as usual to finish something I hope to make you smile. I was watching an Australian cooking show and cheered. Strange, really, I thought, as most Australians like to boomerang.
Glad you enjoyed that. Thank you. One day, Albert Einstein has to speak at an important science conference. And on the way there, he tells his driver, who looks a bit like him, I'm sick of all these conferences. I always say the same thing over and over again. The driver agreed. You're right. As your driver, I've attended all of them. And even though I don't know anything about science, I could give your speech in your place. Great idea, says Einstein. Let's switch places. So they switch clothes, and as soon as they arrive, the driver, dressed as Einstein, goes on stage and starts giving the usual speech, while the real Einstein, dressed as the driver, is in the audience. In the crowd, there is one scientist who wants to impress everyone, being that Einstein won't be able to respond. He stands up, poses his question. The whole room is silent, holding their breath, waiting for the response. The driver looks him right in the eye and says, Sir, your question is so easy to answer that I'm going to let my driver reply to it for me. (laughs) Richard, as always, thank you very, very much indeed, especially for the joke about the boomerang, which I will be repeating to my children in the future. (laughs) And now let's go over to our regular quiz. And first of all, the answers from the last edition on August the 18th. Good luck to our four readers, in fact I should say five readers, not to mention Fred Hargreaves in the corner, at having a go to answer these. Question number one, who created Winnie the Pooh? A. Milne. A. Milne is correct. In which modern country was Christopher Columbus born? Italy, yep, Italy. Number three, which town, now a city, is the administrative centre for the Open University? Milton Keynes. Milton Keynes it is. In the USA, how many cents make a dime? Ten. It's actually ten, yes, I thought it was 25 for a long time, but it's ten. What is the official residence of the Lord Mayor of London? Mansion House. Mansion House. Yep, Mansion House is the answer. So congratulations if you've got all five of those. And now for this week's quiz, which is all about this week's events in history. Question number one. On August the 24th and 25th, the Capitol, the White House, and several other buildings in the US capital, Washington, D.C., were burnt to the ground. Who did it? And for a bonus point, what was the year? Question number two. Which well-known city was destroyed by a massive volcanic eruption on August the 24th? Question number three. And we're back to Washington. Who made a speech on August the 28th at which the speaker declared, I have a dream? Number four, the author of the Gothic novel Frankenstein was born this month in 1797. Who was it? And number five, which well-known beverage was sold in Britain for the first time on the 31st of August, 
1900. Good luck to you all. And now, before we go on to the second part of this edition, we're saddened to announce the death on August the 15th of Derek Prattley of Finstock, who was listed in the Whitney Gazette this week. Our condolences to Mr. Prattley's friends and family. But we also have a birthday to announce. One of our listeners, Miss Maggie Cole of Ainsham, celebrated her birthday yesterday on the 24th. So now let's move on to the second part of this edition, and we get off to a very slow start with the birth of four baby tortoises. Maybe oh, sorry. It may be slow, but it's rather a nice story. It's entitled Four More Rare Baby Giant Tortoises Born. And there's a lovely picture, the majority of which is taken up by the head of an adult tortoise. And then somebody's hand is in the foreground with a tiny tortoise within that hand. The country's only crocodile zoo now has six baby giant Galapagos tortoises after four more were born, a first for the UK. Announcing the news, Crocodiles of the World at Bryce Norton, near Whitney, said the arrivals were an important step in conserving the endangered species. A spokesman said, Amazing news. We have had four more... Giant Galapagos tortoises hatch at the zoo. That now brings our total to six baby giants, and you can see them when you next visit. They added, This is a first for the UK and incredible for a species that has previously come so close to extinction. Hopefully, this is a great step towards helping the conservation of the species. Earlier this month, the zoo announced that two other giant Galapagos tortoises had hatched as part of the first successful breeding of the endangered species at a UK zoo. The newborns, which are of the largest living tortoise species in the world, weighed 67 grams and 69 grams each, around the same weight as a kiwi fruit. They're being fed on a diet of dried grasses, leafy greens, pear cactus and weeds. Sean Foggart, zoo founder, said, we're incredibly proud to have successfully bred these tortoises, who have previously been very close to extinction. They are still facing an uncertain future, primarily due to historic over-exploitation and egg predation from invasive species. We have all been hoping for this day since the giant tortoises joined us in 2018 and it's a significant achievement towards helping the conservation of the species. Crocodiles of the World is home to four adult giant Galapagos tortoises, three females called Zuzu, Isabella and Charlie and one male, Dirk. He is the largest Galapagos tortoise in the UK and currently weighs an impressive 165 kilograms or 25 stone. These gentle giants are part of a European conservation programme and joined the zoo four years ago from Chester Zoo and ZSL London. Mr Foggett said, Although 
they have been very amorous since their arrival with us. Unfortunately, no fertile eggs were laid in the first three years. Jamie Jilks, head of reptiles, added, To have a successful breeding with this iconic species really means a lot, not just to me personally, but to everyone here at the zoo, especially after all of the hard work our team have put in. Opening our incubator to see a cracked shell and feel the baby moving inside was indescribable and a moment that will stay with everyone involved for a very long time. The baby Galapagos tortoises will be housed for visitors to see soon. Now the Gazette marks a uh, courageous European sporting extravaganza with the headline Transplant Games Getting Underway Across County. Survivors who owe their lives to transplants are this week competing in an international sporting tournament across Oxfordshire. It's the first time the European Transplant and Dialysis Games has been held in the UK. Competitors are taking part in sports ranging from tennis and football to athletics, squash and swimming, using facilities at Radley College near Abingdon as an athlete's village for the week. Events also take place in Oxford and Blenheim Palace. The summer event is expected to attract over 400 organ transplant recipients and kidney dialysis patients from over 25 countries across Europe. Singer-songwriter Adam Isaac, who is on dialysis after he was found to have unexpected kidney failure two years ago, performed two of his latest tracks at the opening ceremony on Sunday. Adam, from Oxford, was on TV's The Voice in 2012 and made his latest album while battling life-threatening Burgess disease. He found out he had advanced kidney failure in 2020 and for the majority of the last 12 months has been on dialysis three times a week. He's hoping to receive a transplant from a live donor later this year. He has written multiple songs about his experience of dialysis and organ donation. Marching On, which he performed at the opening ceremony, was inspired by his experience of battling critical illness and his wish to show people that there is life outside dialysis. Maxim Schuler, 29, was rescued from the dangers of Ukraine by the Oxford Transplant Group and is living with a family in Abingdon. He was on haemodialysis in Kiev for three years after his kidney transplant failed. After war broke out, he and his wife and seven-year-old daughter spent two weeks living in a basement. In mid-March, the hospital told him they only had two weeks of dialysis supplies left. The family drove to the Polish border, but he was told due to his age he had to remain in Ukraine. It was only after going to Lviv for dialysis that he was able to get a certificate say he was disabled and could cross to Poland. The Polish Transplant Sports Federation and a crowdfunding campaign in the UK supported him in a hotel for three weeks. The Oxford Transplant Centre and the team at Radley College eventually organised for the family to travel to Oxford to live and continue dialysis, finding them a host family in David and Maria. Now Mackim has dialysis three times a week and will soon be on the UK transplant list. The family will be representing Ukraine at the Games. 
Mike Oliver was diagnosed with hereditary condition polycystic kidney disease where cysts develop in the kidneys and as they grow larger the kidneys struggle to work properly until eventually they cannot function at all. In 2015 he received a kidney transplant after two years on the waiting list and he will be competing in the cycle event at Blenheim Palace. Mr Oliver, 59, lives in Whitney with his wife Jill. He said competing in the home games was a way to honour the transplant team. This article is entitled <clears throat> Cowell Shows Sweeter Side on Visit to Milkshake Shop. Music industry mogul Simon Cowell may be a tough man to please on the X Factor, but wasted no time in giving his seal of approval to Oxfordshire sweets and milkshake shops. The talent show star visited Chipping Norton and showed his sweet tooth by sampling treats from milkshake shop Tickety Shake and Mr. Sims' old sweet shop. Julia Cook, owner of Tickety Shake and neighbouring children's boutique Tickety Boo, said he was very happy to have his photo taken. He was extremely kind and lovely, polite and smiley, and he was very complimentary about my staff. He bought a vanilla shake for his son and some sweets and toys. I told the staff to offer it for free, but he refused and told the staff he wanted to pay. It isn't the first time the tickety shops have been visited by famous faces. We've had David Cameron and Alex James in tickety shake a few times, she said. We've had Amanda Holden in Tickety Boo before, and we've had Lydia Bright from Towie. Nicola Hogan, owner of Mr. Sims, said, We don't like to give too many details about who visits and what they buy. We prefer it if they feel they can visit us as normal people. He came in with his son Eric, dog Squidly, and other family members. He was delightful, and his son Eric enjoyed exploring the pick and mix. They visited other shops and he was very good about having selfies with people along the way. As, <clears throat> as Mr Cowell enjoyed a day of shopping in Chipping Norton, social media went into meltdown as the origins of One Direction were revealed. Liam Payne had claimed the group had been made around him. In response, X Factor released previously unseen footage of how the judges created the band. It showed them first selecting Niall Horan, followed by Harry Styles, and then Louis Tomlinson. But Mr Cowell was clearly most impressed by Payne. He was a standout audition, he said. The judges toyed with the idea of putting him up as a solo performer before Nicole Scherzinger suggested he could be the leader of a DIY boy band, it was reported. And there's a very smiley picture of Simon Cowell in his sunglasses in front of the um, milkshake shop in Chipping Norton. And I've got the first of two stories about uh, A-level exam results. Uh, the first one, uh, which I'll read, is headline, Fantastic A-level successes for pandemic-hit students. And it's illustrated with two photographs, uh, the, the main one being of a group of Year 13 students at the Henry Box School in Whitney, um, 32 of them in all, all uh, with their, or most of them, holding their exam results, very pleased with themselves. 
And the main picture <clears throat> beneath that is of a student by the name of Adam, and he's there with his results and with his head of sixth form, uh, Mr Armstrong. And Adam, with his A-star and four... Uh, sorry, three A-level uh, or A-grade passes, is going on to Cambridge University. So the story... Exceptional and inspiring pupils have been praised for their excellent performance at A-level results despite COVID disruption. <clears throat> Almost 30% of all grades at Wood Green School in Whitney were A-star and A. The school on Woodstock Road said to our Year 13 students, you are all exceptional, inspiring and talented young people and we wish you every success in the future. The school singled out pupils Neve who scored three A-stars, and Lucy for their fantastic results. Neve will go on to do a degree apprenticeship with Accenture, and Lucy is going to study film production at the University of Portsmouth. Another student, Bill, achieved five A-stars and is going on to study engineering at Cambridge University. In a statement, the school said, Our Year 13s received their A-level and B-tech results this week, Firstly, we would like to congratulate our Year 13 students on making it through an incredibly tough two years. Having not sat GCSEs in 2020 and then having had a very different sixth form experience with disruption to learning and not having had the full wider experience, it is a tremendous achievement to have received their A-level results this summer. It said despite everything, there had been fantastic successes at A-level this year. Many students will now go to universities, including Oxbridge, and many into degree apprenticeships. More students have taken gap years in order to take stock of the last two years and decide what is best for them, said the school. However, Wood Green students are more than just grades. This is the teacher speaking. There are so many stories of overcoming adversity and the resilience that every single one of our students has shown is remarkable. At the Henry Box School, congratulations were offered to pupils on excellent A-level results after two challenging years. The school said, The excellent results are a reflection of the hard work and dedication shown by our students over the past two challenging years. Some 31% of students achieved grades that were either A-star or A, and 99.7% of all students achieve grades of A-star through to E, so not many uh, failures or incompletes there. Many students have secured places at highly competitive universities and ap uh, apprenticeships, the school said. We would like to wish them every success as they prepare, prepare for the next chapter in their lives. The achievements of our Year 13 students are worth far more than a grade. The resilience they have shown under such conditions is remarkable. They are all exceptional, inspiring and talented young people and we couldn't be prouder of them. This is also a piece about A-level results but uh, this time going to Chipping Norton uh, who is celebrating a tremendous set of results. A school has welcomed the opportunity to celebrate after scoring a tremendous set of examination results. Almost 40% of all grades at Chipping Norton School were A-star or A. 
69% of all grades were A star to B, 92% of all grades were A star to C, and 100% of all grades were A star to E. Head teacher Barry Doherty said, Our community deserves this day after the challenges of the last few years. Our headline figures represent and celebrate the remarkable effects of our highly talented students and their incredible teachers. These results are significantly higher than the most recent A-level examination results sat in 2019. Head of sixth form Peter Ward added, Whilst grades matter, we know that their destinations are of equal, if not greater, importance, and in this regard we are again delighted to share news of their successes. We are so proud of them all. The school mentioned students who, between them, achieved 32 A-star and A-grades. Ollie Bull, Georgia Bell, Jake Briggs, Karina Graham, Rose Heppel, Zach Ibrahim... Anya Kennedy, Dan Large, Olivia Riley and Satu Noble. Once again, a large proportion of our students have met offers for Russell Group universities, such as John Pettit, who will be studying chemistry with a year in industry at Cardiff, and Eleanor Tomalin, taking up her place for medicine at Hull York Medical School. Other students with places at their first choice universities include Ellie Shermer, who will study forensic psychology at Worcester, Elizabeth Hedgard Hole has secured a place at the Dyson Institute degree apprenticeship. Okay, this is an exam of a different kind, and the article is titled Firefighter Fitness Test for Counsellors. Three councillors have accepted the challenge to take part in the rigorous firefighter fitness tests. The National Firefighter Recruitment Test involves a ladder climb, casualty evacuation, ladder lift and lower simulation, enclosed spaces, equipment assembly and equipment carry. The job requires aerobic fitness, upper and lower body strength, stamina and coordination. They aim to highlight the work firefighters do for the community and help recruit more on-call firefighters across West Oxfordshire. They are also raising funds for the Firefighters' Charity, which supports the mental, physical and social needs of all serving and retired members of the UK's fire service. Andrew Coles, Vice-Chair, and Duncan Enright, Deputy Leader, of West Oxfordshire District Council and Lucy Ashbourne, councillor for Whitney Central Ward, have been training with firefighters in order to get fit. Mr Coles said, This all came about because the firefighters themselves challenged me to take part in their annual fitness test and I roped my colleagues in to join me. The recent record temperatures have seen a significant increase in the demands on our local fire service, and many people aren't aware that the vast majority of fire cover is done by on-call firefighters who work elsewhere in the community but respond when an emergency call comes in. Ms Ashbourne has a family connection to the Whitney team, 
She said, Our local firefighting team benefits our community in countless ways, not least working hard to keep us safe. She continues, My son is part of the Whitney team, and the support they offer to each other to be able to provide their life saving and life enhancing service is second to none. She says finally, The firefighter fitness test is part of the recruitment process, and I'm hoping that by taking part, we can inspire people to consider joining the team. They would all be taking part in the firefighters' annual fitness test at Whitney Fire Station on Sunday, September the 4th. Mr. Enright added, We are all so proud of our firefighters who keep us safe every day. Anyone thinking of becoming a firefighter should get in touch with the fire service to discuss it. As the oldest in this challenge, I am expecting to find out the hard way just how fit our professionals are. People can contribute to the fundraising by visiting the team's Just Giving page www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash fit hyphen test hyphen 2022. The Oxfordshire Fire Service is recruiting both on-call and full-time firefighters. For more information, please go to www.oxfordshire.gov.uk forward slash council forward slash working hyphen Oxfordshire hyphen county hyphen council forward slash fire hyphen service hyphen recruitment few and finally we've got a more cheery article than some of the others have been entitled rocking up for alex's food music and family festival while always cheerful upbeat rock star turned farmer alex james seems even more happy than usual as the handsome bass player with the Britpop legends blur Alex has enjoyed all the trappings of fame and success, living it up in style in the world's most glamorous cities. But it is not the prospect of touring or lapping up the excesses of the rock lifestyle which excites him now. It is staying at home. This weekend, he throws open the gates to his own rural bolt hole at Kingham, near Chipping Norton, for a festival dedicated to his three loves, music, food and family. The big festival from Friday to Sunday is one of the last festivals of the summer and with a genuine indie legend at the helm it has no problem attracting some of the biggest and most exciting names around. It's all ramping up Alex says with genuine delight as we chat during a break in his work setting up the festival headlined by the Human League, Anne-Marie and Stereophonics. It's all looking brilliant, and we've even had a bit of rain, which is very welcome. It's going to be bigger and better than ever before. And, he says, it is his favourite part of the year, eclipsing even band duties. I was in a band when I was at school, and I still am, he says. But this festival absolutely combines everything I love. Where I live, food, music and family stuff. And all my kids are flat out working on it. 
Friday headliners, the Human League, who formed in 1977, have sold more than 20 million records worldwide, including classics Don't You Want Me and Human. Saturday's bill topper is Anne-Marie, who is perhaps best known for her vocals on Clean Bandit's Rockabye alongside Jamaican star Sean Paul. The festival will be topped off by stadium rockers Stereophonics, who have scored five consecutive UK number one albums and 11 top ten singles. Keeping the younger revellers entertained will be children's TV megastar Justin Fletcher and Andy and the Odd Socks. They will be joined by Emmy Award-winning puppy siblings Bluey and Bingo and Julia Donaldson's accident-prone dragon Zog. As we chat, Alex is finalising details of what, for many, is the highlight of the, of the festival, Alex's Cheese Hub. I've got a team of mathematicians designing incredible mirror balls for the Cheese Hub, he laughs. And we've got Blur's lighting designer involved too. It's like decorating a Christmas tree. As well as seeing Alex and son Geronimo taking to the decks, it also features DJs Jeremy Healy, Jaguar Skills, Plump DJs and freestylers, as well as guest sets from Dick and Dom, DJ Barbecue. Or maybe that's BBQ. Alex will keep revellers fed with his new concoction, chips topped with smoked salmon and truffle caviar, dubbed well-loaded fries. And he teased some very special live sets by big-name guests. It won't be Blur, though, he laughed. Though Dave, drummer Dave Roundtree, might be coming along. With tickets selling out, he's encouraging families to try out Friday's fun. The Big Festival, Kingham, August 26th to 28th. For tickets, see thebigfestival.com. And there's a picture of, I guess maybe two or three years ago, of Alex James on stage with Radio 2 DJ Joe Wiley and thousands of people in the background all having a great time. Thanks very much, Debbie. A wonderful selection of names, beautifully read there. Um, I'd just like to apologise to our listeners. Um, The squeaks and squawks that you may have been hearing in the background, nothing to do with our readers, We have a flock of jackdaws outside and we have the windows open because it's quite hot. So so apologies. Anyway, now it's time for the notice board. A couple of events which may be of interest, apart from uh, the festival, which Debbie has just described. On Friday the 26th, uh, the Woodstock Jazz Club will present present the Nicholas Meyer Trio. Um, He's a stunning jazz guitarist. And he'll be playing at the St. Hughes Centre in Woodstock. The concert starts at 8pm. Tickets are £15 on the door or online from info at woodstockjazz.co.uk. Then, uh, if you have children or grandchildren, or just if you're a big fan of Paddington Bear, uh, the bear himself will be back again at Didcot Railway Centre on Saturday from 1030 For more information, please call 01235 817 200. That's 01235 817 200. 
Finally, the Whitney Torch Fellowship, which provides advice, support and opportunities for fellowship and library services free of charge, meets on the first Saturday of every month at 2pm in the Welcome Church, High Street, Whitney. New members are very welcome. The contact number is 01993 891 639. That's 01993 891 639. As well as listening to the USB stick you receive from each, us each week, there are several other ways for you to listen to our editions, including the magazines. Whitney Talking News is available to listen to via the website wtn.org.uk and through our podcasts. All these internet services are accessible through Alexa. If you have an Alexa-enabled device, um, and if you haven't used it before to listen to us in the past, before you listen for the first time, you have to enable the AnyPod podcast reader. Just say to Alexa, Alexa, enable AnyPod skill. Then to listen, simply say, Alexa, ask AnyPod to play Whitney Talking News. That's really all you need, but while you're listening, there are a number of useful phrases that you can use, and full details can be seen on our website at wtn.org.uk. Just follow the link, listen online. So that's it for this week. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. Please do so as quickly as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches, and then, of course, we're unable to continue our service. And remember, if you wish to contact us for any reason, just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and we'll phone you. And don't forget to keep listening at the end of our programme for an info sound item which gives some highlights of this week's best radio listening and audio described TV. It only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette, the Oxford Mail and the Duke of Edinburgh Award Scheme for the content we have used tonight. Thanks also to our technical expert, Peter Brading, who has triumphed, as always, on our ageing recording deck and will be copying all the memory sticks with me later on this evening. A big thank you to our volunteers, Shirley Rawlings and Lynn Harding, who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks you have returned and keeping all our essential records in our register. And finally, a big thanks to all our readers tonight, uh, Teresa... Um, oops. Sorry, missed that. <laughs> Debbie Diacon, Jean Thompson, Alan Ravel, Mick Walsh, Andrew Dilger, Nigel James, and last but not least, Richard Donahue. I know everyone would like to say goodbye, and so until our next edition, goodbye. goodbye. Bye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, August 27th, and drama. A Punk Progress is a coming-of-age story with a twist. It's June 1978, and 17-year-old punk Roland Gift is thrown out of his family home. He goes to see The Clash live in Leeds, a gig that would change his life forever. Tune in at 3 o'clock on Radio 4. At 5.30 on Radio 4 comes the concluding episode of Boris, detailing the events leading up to Mr Johnson's resignation as Prime Minister. 
with guests including Jacob Rees-Mogg, Katie Balls and Dr Hannah White. This Cultural Life is at 7.15 on Radio 4. John Wilson's guest this week is globally renowned architect Norman Foster, who discusses the cultural influences and experiences that shaped him. Tonight's prom at 7.30 on Radio 3 is an audio-visual celebration of the BBC Natural History Unit, introduced live at the Royal Albert Hall by Chris Packham and Megan McGovern, co-hosts of the BBC's Springwatch series. The programme features natural sounds, spoken word and music by composers including Hans Zimmer and George Fenton. And lastly, for Saturday, August 27th, J.F. Newman's The Corrupted, starring Toby Jones, continues on Radio 4 at 9pm in the evening. Jack and Brian are back in prison after a kilo of cocaine was found in Jack's flat. Sunday, August 28th, the reunion at 11.15 on Radio 4 is entitled Deep Blue vs Kasparov. Kirsty Walk reunites the artificial intelligence pioneers who in 97 went into battle against chess master Gary Kasparov to test the limits of human and artificial intelligence. The drama at three on Radio 4 is the concluding episode of Ringo Levio. Emmett Grogan's colourful past is revealed as we learn more about the background of this influential figure. Radio 2 at 8 o'clock is Sunday Night Music Night, another chance to hear a celebration of Barbara Streisand, first broadcast in April on her 80th birthday. And then, to round off the weekend at 11 o'clock on Radio 3, comes a slow radio programme entitled Fair Winds. Musician and composer Inga Thompson spent her childhood on the island of Fair Isle in Shetland, and she's joined by Helen Needham as they capture its unique sounds. Well, I said it was the end of the weekend... It's a long weekend this weekend. Bank Holiday Monday, of course. We'll run through the highlights of that in a moment. But as ever, we'll look at the programmes that are broadcast each day, Monday to Friday, even though it is a bank holiday, on the same radio station. So each day, same time, same radio station. Book of the Week at 9.45 on Radio 4 is Fatwa. In the wake of the recent attempt by on Salman Rushdie's life, another chance to hear Chloe Hatching-Matteo and Moben Akzar's account of the fatwa against the writer, issued in 1989 by Ayatollah Khamenei. Composer of the Week at 12 noon on Radio 3 each day is Dietrich Buxtehuda, 1637-1707. to A musical star in his own time, an organist and composer who Johann Sebastian Bach apparently walked 300 miles to meet, yet details of the composer's life remain murky. Donald McLeod pieces together what is known about him and finds a multifaceted personality and groundbreaking musician. Torn, a history of fashion, continues every day at 1.45 on Radio 4, Monday to Friday. The quest on the first day is making clothing at low prices. To Radio 4 Extra at 8 o'clock each evening, The Murder at the Vicarage, dramatisation of Agatha Christie's mystery, starring June Whitfield. While... Book at bedtime at 10.45 all week on Radio 4 is Trespassers, Louise Kennedy's book. After Michael clashes with his friends over politics, Kushler begins to fear that his work could land him in danger. On to the highlights then for the rest of the week, starting with Bank Holiday Monday, August 29th. At 9am on Radio 4, another episode of How to Play. A look behind the scenes of Symphony Hall in Birmingham as the City of Birmingham Symphony Chorus rehearse Handel's Messiah. The Frost Tapes this week features David Frost's interview with singer, dancer, actor, comedian Sammy Davis Jr. Presented by the renowned interviewer's son, Wilfred Frost. 
Radio 4 still at 6.30pm, Mark Steele's in town, and this week the comedian visits Tring in Hertfordshire and presents his very funny stand-up show for the local audience. Eight o'clock on Classic FM comes John Williams at 90. Andrew Collins presents a rare interview with the Hollywood composer whose Oscar-winning scores include Star Wars and Schindler's List. Sounds like a must-listen-to on Bank Holiday Monday. Alternatively, if you'd prefer, at eight o'clock on Radio 4, who are the 22? The story of the 1922 committee, the powerful group of Conservative backbench MPs who can make or break a Prime Minister. Tuesday, August 30th, The Curious Cases of Rutherford and Fry. This week looks at smells. Why are some of them nasty and others so pleasant? Uh, it's all on Radio 4. Fortunately, you can't smell them on the radio. Tune in at 11 o'clock on Radio 4. The drama at 2.15, also on 4, is For Love, Not Money. Viv Groskop's play explores attitudes to Ukrainian refugees since their arrival in the UK tells the story of how one woman's determination to play host causes problems with her neighbours. More drama at three on Radio 4 Extra, The Woman in White, Wilkie Collins' 1860 mystery, and it stars Toby Stevens in his broadcast for the rest of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday at the same time. Four o'clock on Radio 4 comes the Lost Sounds Orchestra, the story of people dedicated to bringing sounds of the past to life, including two men discovering the oldest recordings of the human voice. Also on 4 at 8pm comes The Man Who Came Back From The Dead, the incredible story of Ivan Skyper, who managed to survive a mass execution in Bukha outside Kiev, one of the worst atrocities in the early stages of the war in Ukraine. At 8.40 on Radio 4, In Touch with Peter White. And following on from this, the final episode of Pandemic 1918. The Spanish flu is estimated to have killed more than 50 million people worldwide, the planet's single biggest natural human catastrophe. Virologist John Oxford looks at the long-term impact on health, communities, the economy and governments. It's on Radio 4 at 9 o'clock. Wednesday, August 31st, there's a new cookery series on Radio 4 at 9.30 entitled One Dish, in which Andy Oliver looks at people's favourite dishes. First up, cookery writer and Great British Bake Off semi-finalist Bryony May Williams. The drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is Quartet for the End of Time. At 10am on a Wednesday morning, the Stella String Quartet meets for rehearsal. Each of them has met at this time on this day for 12 years. But on this day, something extraordinary happens. They can stop time. There's a new series of Thinking Aloud at four o'clock on Radio 4. The topic is the NHS and its history via the evolution and changing meanings of the sick note and how it became an integral part of working and living in Britain. To Radio 3 at 7.30 for tonight's live prom from London's Royal Albert Hall. Edward Gardner conducts the London Philharmonic. The exchange at 8 o'clock on Radio 4 looks at adoption. Amanda and Helen both chose to adopt, but as the process became more and more difficult, they made very different choices about how to deal with an increasingly desperate situation. And at 8.45 on Radio 4, witness. In December 63, the 19-year-old son of Frank Sinatra was kidnapped for a ransom. He was released unharmed after two days. Barry Keenan, the man behind the crime, describes the events of his doomed get-rich-quick plot. Thursday, September 1st. Yes, another new month. 
DJ and presenter Scarlett O'Malley has a passion for artist and performer Jackie Wilson. When she discovered there was a Jackie Wilson tribute artist called Bobby Brooks, she wanted to know more. She meets Bobby in New York and uncovers an extraordinary life and career of a man who has also been a long-term admirer of Wilson. Being Jackie Wilson is on at 11.30 on Radio 4. The drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is Wasteland, Ed Harris's comedy set in the world of Brighton Seafront's Refuse Collection Service. Blake, an idealist, is determined to clean up the seafront. But are his methods too revolutionary? There's a new series of ramblings at 3 o'clock on Radio 4, and this week Claire Balding joins three women who are qualified as mountain leaders in their 50s and explain why they wanted to take their love of the outdoors to a professional level. Claire joins them for a challenging six-mile hike around Malham in the Yorkshire Dales. And on Radio 3 at 10 o'clock comes The Apple and the Tree, in which Carlo Gebler, son of authors Edna O'Brien and Ernest Gebler, asks why the children of writers often become writers themselves. And we finish the week Friday, September 2nd. A new comedy series written and starring Richard Herring, entitled Relativity, is on Radio 4 at 11.30am. Newly single Jane dips her toe into the world of online dating. Pete, despairing at the failure of his marriage, turns to drink. Margaret enforces the two-metres social distancing room, while Ian tries to self-diagnose his enlarged testicle. The drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is Exemplar, a modern-day thriller set in northeast England and starring Gina McKee as a lone wolf audio forensic analyst and Juliet Stevenson as a populist leader. Radio 3 at 7.30. Tonight's prom is live from London's Royal Albert Hall. Kevin John Edusai conducts the Chinake Chorus and Orchestra and soloists in Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and George Walker's Song Cycle, Lilacs. And there's more music to finish the week on Classic FM. From 10pm, Margarita Taylor plays classical works and film music designed to ease away the stresses of the day and the strains of the week. That's it for another week. Thank you to Angela for all of the highlights. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. Hello to you all. This is John from Otley Talking News, selecting and reading my choice of audio-described television programmes for the week commencing Saturday the 27th of August and ending on Friday the 2nd of September. So let's start on Saturday the 27th. On BBC One at 11.30, Nigella at my table. Nigella prepares a herby leg of lamb, followed by a chocolate mousse. There's a new series of Ainsley's Mediterranean Cookbook on ITV at 11.35. Ainsley visits the island of Lavacetti and serves up seafood skewers. On ITV at 12 noon, James Martin's Great British Adventure. James meets Michelle Rue Senior. Jamie Oliver together continues on Channel 4 at 12.30. The chef cooks a side of salmon with a lemony potato salad. Wallace and Gromit have a grand day out on BBC One at 2pm with the duo Visit the Moon. There are two episodes of Superman and Lois on BBC One at 5.20. In the first part, Jordan's departure leaves Sarah rattled. And in the second, Superman races through the portal but finds everything on the other side is weird. The Bond film Die Another Day is on ITV at 8pm. After being betrayed in North Korea and then released from prison, James sets off to get close to the megalomaniac Gustav Graves. 
Also at 8, but on Channel 4, part 2 of Britain by Beach, Anita Rani explores Kent's 350 miles of coastline. Casualties on BBC One at 8.30. Desperate to clear Ollie's name, Rosaline urges David to talk to a journalist. This is followed still on BBC One at 9.20 by part three of The Secret She Keeps. Laurelie's podcast is a success, but Megan continues to shun the young journalist. So what's on on Sunday the 28th? You could start early at 9am on BBC Two with Coast Great Guide. This week it's all about South Wales. There's Homes Under the Hammer at 11 on BBC One, followed by Bargain Hunt at 12 noon. So how about visiting some Greek islands? Julia Bradbury visits Rhodes and Simi. She's on ITV at 12.55. Wallace and Gromit are off on another adventure. It's a matter of loaf and death, and it's on BBC One at 3.20. At 5.35 on BBC One, Seven Worlds, One Planet is in North America, watching lynx prowl the snowy Yukon for snowshoed hares and fish building underwater pyramids to attract a mate. There are two new series tonight. On ITV8 is a crime drama, Ridley, with Adrian Dunbar in the starring role. Although retired, Ridley is drafted in to help investigate the death of a local farmer. The second new series is on BBC One at Nine. The Capture is also a crime drama. DCI Rachel Carey investigates the case of a man killed by seemingly invisible assailants and finds a link to national and international security. The final part of this story is at 9pm tomorrow. Part 3 of Investigating Diana, Death in Paris, is on Channel 4 at 9. It's 2004 and pressure builds on the British government to set up an inquest into the death of Diana. The Metropolitan Police are asked to investigate not the cause, but the allegations of a conspiracy to murder by the establishment. Now look at the programmes that are on at the same time each day. Maximum security at 10.30am. Homes under the hammer at 11.15am. Bargain hunt at 12.15. Escape to the country at 2.45 on Monday and then at 3 o'clock for the rest of the week. Garden rescue at 3.45pm. And all these are on BBC One. Dickinson's Real Deal is on ITV at 2pm from Tuesday to Friday. Heartbeat is on ITV 3 at 6pm each evening. And all the soaps are on at their usual times on their usual channels. Looking now at programmes on Monday the 29th of August. Bank Holiday Monday. Blackpool's Dance Fever is on BBC One at 8pm. Blackpool is the home to the British Open Championships and attracts dancers from all over the world. This documentary follows competitors trained by Donnie Burns, a multi-world champion, some of whom have gone on to become professional dancers on Strictly Come Dancing. It's part two of The Capture on BBC One at 9pm. And it's also the final part of Investigating Diana, Death in Paris at 9pm on Channel 4. The Metropolitan Police Inquiry is set to present its final report. There's a new series on ITV at 9, The Suspect, a psychological thriller starring Aidan Turner. Joe O'Loughlin is a successful psychologist, but a recent medical diagnosis has thrown his life off balance. Then he is asked to help in the case of a murdered woman, and ghosts begin to surface. Now on to Tuesday the 30th of August. Fake or Fortune on BBC One at 8. Fiona Bruce and Philip Mould investigate the sketch by Amedeo Modigliani. 
If it is genuine, it could be worth £100,000, but recently an auction house has cast doubt on its authenticity. Philip sets out to get it forensically tested, while Fiona delves into the owner's extensive family archives. Or on BBC Two at 8pm, the hotel people are at the Sleeve Hotel in Down. Eugene, aka Mr Weddings, is a busier than ever due to the boom in post-pandemic ceremonies. It's the final week of the heats of Celebrity Masterchef on BBC One at Nine. The celebrity's first task is to create a dish based around an ingredient hidden beneath a cloche. Then they have an hour to prepare a dish they would cook to impress a guest. The feature film The Queen, starring Helen Mirren, is on ITV at 8pm. Following the death of Princess Diana in 1997, the royal family struggled to acknowledge the nation's grief. Also at nine, there's Night Coppers on Channel 4. PC Sophie has to deal with a flirty suspect, and PC Vic arrests a man on suspicion of GBH. 90 Days That Shook the BBC with David Dimbleby is on BBC Two at 9pm. In this new series of three, David offers his personal take on controversies that affected the corporation during his career. At 10 on Channel 4, Rosie Jones' Trip Hazard. This week, Rosie takes Man Like Mobin star Guz Khan to Blackpool, where she books a 15,000-foot skydive. In preparation, they visit a palm reader and an indoor skydiving centre. On to Wednesday the 31st. So let's start on BBC Four at 8pm with South Pacific. Millions of years are condensed into an hour of unforgettable images, illustrating the birth, growth and death of an island, all due to an ocean of volcanoes. Also eight from BBC One is the repair shop. This week the team take on a pair of 70-year-old roller skates, a 1960 radiogram, a toy fire engine and a wallet that belonged to a freedom fighter. At 9 on ITV, Diana. On the 25th anniversary of the death of Diana, Princess of Wales, this film reveals the real woman behind the glamorous media image. The Great continues on Channel 4 at 10. Catherine is frustrated by the lack of meaningful change in her rule of Russia and seeks to shake the court out of its complacency. It's part four of Shetland on BBC One at 9. Perez issues a warrant for the arrest of Connor and Sandy tries to find out why William Rogers, a US citizen employed in the energy industry, came to Shetland. Finally for Wednesday, there's a rerun of Angela Black on ITV3 at 10pm. There are two episodes tonight, and then two on Thursday and the final two on Friday, all at 10pm. Angela is married with two children and an outwardly charming husband, but he is manipulative and violent and then she soon finds out she's being followed by a stranger. Thursday the 1st of September. Celebrity Masterchef continues at 8 on BBC One. Can the remaining chefs make sweet and sour prawn balls in 20 minutes? Saving Lives at Sea on BBC One at 8. In Swanage, the lifeboat team work with the specialist Coast Guard rope team to rescue an injured climber. On Channel 4 at 8, George Clark's old house, New Home, George visits a Georgian townhouse in Cheshire which hides a catalogue of 1980s horrors. There's few original features remaining, but it does have a first-floor conservatory on stilts. He also tackles a 380-year-old Jacobean cottage where the residents have to pop to the pub next door if they need the toilet. 
There's a repeat of Vera on ITV3 8pm. The DCI investigates the murder of an entrepreneur whose legacy has left no shortage of suspects. On BBC Two at 9pm, All That Glitters, Britain's Next Jewellery Star. The group have to create a spinner ring and then take on a commission for Dion, who wants a hairpin for her daughter to wear on her shifts as a nurse. Over to Channel 4 at 9, Football Dreams the Academy. 11-year-old Shai, a British Asian, has made it to the Academy and his father Mo is looking far ahead to the possibility of Shai playing for England. But Mo has become a vocal second coach on the touchline and it's not plain sailing at the Academy. Finally, to Friday the 2nd, at 6.30pm on BBC Two is part two of The Americas with Simon Reeve. The globetrotter travels through the Rocky Mountains from Montana to Colorado and on the plains he finds the cowboy's way of life is under threat from the decline in the rural economy. His final destination is Colorado Town, where there are no fewer than 11 prisons. The final episode of This Is My House on BBC One, 8.30pm, the panellists try to find the real owner, Lindsay, who is the wife of Kevin, and he is the real owner of an online business selling luxury cheese boards. The four Lindsays show their skills at displaying cheese and reveal how they met Kevin. But who is the real Lindsay? It'll be all right in the night on ITV at nine. David Williams presents a selection of outtakes featuring famous faces on television, including Martin Clunes enduring a monkey behaving badly. In Celebrity Masterchef on BBC One at nine, the contestants prepare a faultless two-course meal that will be judged by previous finalists. The late film on BBC One at 10.45 is Guardians of the Galaxy, a sci-fi action adventure. A ragtag gang of unlikely bedfellows, including a warrior princess and a talking raccoon, join together to save the universe. Alternatively, the late film on ITV, also at 10.45, is Bridesmaids. Lillian announces her engagement and asks lifelong pal Annie to be maid of honour. But Annie's life is a mess and she finds herself losing control of the bachelorette party to Lillian's seemingly perfect new friend, Helen. I hope you find something of interest in my selection this week. TNF Soundings 